0: Hey, welcome to the Back to One's podcast. I am sitting here with John Reviewer, who runs the About to Review podcast and has for the past three years out of CIC to check out the local indie fair and see what's happening up here. Hello, John.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for for having me on your podcast. We are not podcast enemies. We were going to have a face-off. We were going to tie our wrists together, uh, like in the Beat It video, but we decided not to. So we're podcast friends.
0: Yes, podcast allies.
1: There we go. I like that.
0: There we go. And right now you, you just came up for the Badass Festival.
1: I did, yeah. This is my first time covering Badass. Uh, David has invited me several times uh, when we have met each other at various film festivals when I'm up here. This is just the first year that I was actually able to make it happen with my schedule, and it has been wild. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we were both there at the opening of the, of the Badass Festival, and it was, as promised, badass. Absolutely. <laughs> they did a, a very interesting intro with a, a variety of alarming magic tricks and uh, mm-hmm. other shenanigans.
1: Well, on the closing night, there is something to do with snakes and some sort of burlesque performance. There might be fire involved. I have no idea. So that will be interesting.
0: You heard it here first, folks, fiery snakes doing burlesque at the badass Film festival.
1: Okay, now see that now I want to see <laughs> that show. I mean, I'm sure Tristan Risk's performance is going to be great, but if she could teach her snakes to do something with fire in a burlesque show, sold.
0: There you go. There you go. Yeah. Sold out <laughs> festival. You'd have to rent out VC Place. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, but the Badass Festival is not the first festival that you've come up to to take a look at. You've also been here for
1: so, I started my first festival that I covered in Vancouver was the Vancouver Short Festival in 2017. And from there, just various other organizers and festival directors started reaching out to me once they saw the work that I was doing for those and kept inviting me to more. So, I have done Van Webfest, Vancouver Asian Film Festival, now Badass. I was credentialed for VIF last year. Thought I could make it work in a couple days that I was also traveling to New York to cover something. Could not make it work, so sorry, Viff. Uh But this year, uh, I will be applying for credentials as well and hopefully covering some of that. So yeah, so Vancouver has welcomed me with open arms and it has been incredible. So And just really humbling that I came up here as a film fan and then suddenly people started inviting me to cover their film festival, so that was pretty amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's like... It's an exciting thing for for Vancouver filmmakers because Vancouver does not, it's not like Hollywood where, you know, film stars walk down the street and there's paparazzi following them. There's press, an overabundance of press. Mm-hmm. It's like if you, do, if you do a film, you generally try to reach out and get Canada-wide coverage. If you do a, a local film, a short film that maybe you're not going to get that type of attention, it's hard to know where to go to get that coverage. So it's really exciting to have somebody coming up and like expressing interest and starting to grow that machine of attention for, for the work being made here. So, Well, I
1: mean, one of the amazing things that every time I come up here is how nonchalantly uh, the Canadian filmmakers talk about the amazing money that they're able to get from various state or government-funded programs. That really changes the game because in Washington especially, our film incentive is garbage. Uh, for the state wide film incentive, it is like $3 million wow. for the, for the state. And so when I talk to these filmmakers up here and they're like, yeah, you know, we opted for tell a story hive, or we did, you know, something like this and they gave us $10,000 to make a 10 minute short. There are so many filmmakers in Seattle who would stab a man for $10,000 to make a 10 minute short. But I mean, it really helps not only that you have the funding, but that the government and that the state wants you to make art. You know, and with that it really ratchets up the level of art that you guys produce here. So every time I come up, it just it blows me away.
0: It's awesome to hear. And I mean, yeah, it's it's always a struggle when you're making films to to get your your ideas funded. So it's really great to hear an outside perspective on like the opportunities that we have and and a reminder to all of us as filmmakers take advantage of of all of that.
1: Oh, take so much advantage of all of them. <laughs> the fact that you guys have so many options for that. You know, granted, I know that certain ones are a lot more restrictive from my minimal exposure on that side of the filmmaking industry in Canada, but they're there. Like the ability that you have, just the touch points you have for funding here is so much greater. So me being the one from the States where people are just scrabbling to find anything, go out and find the money to make your art because most likely there will be a way in Vancouver or greater Canada for you to make your art. So, so go do it please. (laughs) So I can watch it. And review it. Yes.
0: (laughs) And I want to talk about how you, because working as a film critic, and I think it's, it's been like a, a topic in a lot of recent conversations is it's difficult because first of all, you're critiquing art and art is this ephemeral thing that is, it's hard to judge art. It's impossible sometimes to judge art but as a film critic, this is what you do. So talk mm-hmm. a bit about your process and uh, how you go about reviewing things.
1: It definitely, it, it is tough. And I really have to analyze it differently in certain contexts. So recently I did an Ask Me Anything uh, on one of my recent episodes. And somebody brought that up. And they were like, since you have been doing this for a couple years, you, know, you have people that send you their film. I get emailed on a daily basis from sometimes studios, sometimes individuals being like, Hey, I saw you in Vancouver. Here's my film. Or, Hey, you covered something here and here. Here's what we have. And so the question that they asked was when I started not just covering it, but becoming friends, you know, with some of these people, does that change it? You know, does that make me more inclined to be like, But they tried, you know, that type of thing. And so it is difficult because art is very subjective. But I really, the thing with me is if people are giving me their art, they know that I I have to, for, I mean, out of respect to them and what I do, analyze it and, and think about it and process it. What I try to avoid, and this gets tough sometimes with embargoes and my release schedule, is sometimes I have to record an episode directly after the screening of a movie that is tough. I really try and avoid that because then I barely have any time to process it, to research it, to look into some of the production side of things. So that gets tough. But in general, I give myself time to really sit with it. I always like after every screening I go to, I write down notes in my phone. I'm not one of the critics actually wait. Yes, I am. (laughs) I am not always the critic who takes notes during the screening. Um, uh, sometimes you will see me in the back of a theater with my notepad, but generally right after the movie, I get on my phone and just start jotting things down because it is fresh in my mind. And then I can go back, look at that and be like, okay, this and this and this, and that gets stuff at festivals, especially because sometimes we're seeing things for the first time ever. So there's not that way for me to do some research and be like, Oh, let me see what somebody who saw this at South by Southwest, you know, not necessarily for the review, but if there was something, if I needed to touch point for a plot or something like that, whereas sometimes, yeah, we are the first ones seeing it, and especially if they're sending us a screener, then it is like, okay, I need to take really good notes because this might be the last time this is shown for six months, for 12 months. I saw stuff at festivals two years ago that still does not have a release date. So as far as my process, I mean, I really... I respect the craft of filmmaking so much and some of my friends have wanted me to do a side podcast for some of the films that get sent to me that are just ridiculous. Um, I reviewed one called The Jurassic Dead, which was a Jurassic Park and Walking Dead mashup um, where (laughs) zombie dinosaurs bit humans, but then they became zombies
0: but dinosaurs are humans.
1: Human zombies. Uh, well, because a mad scientist created this serum where he injected... They were trying to militarize the the zombie dinosaurs, as you do. Of course. So with that, like, I get sent those types of movies all the time. Like, the... If there, is a, if there is a film like Pacific Rim, there is another film called Atlantic Rim.
0: Oh, I think I heard about that one. Yeah. Uh,
1: that got sent to me. So... My friend has wanted me to do one where it's just those types of movies where we just bash it. And I'm really against that, mainly because like, no matter how crazy the movie ended up, people worked on it, they, people were actors, directors, Like, there was a craft that went into it. Regardless of how cheesy it was at the end and how very easily I could spend an hour making fun of it, I just, I would rather not do that. I would rather use my platform to talk about the good things even and if even if I do have to mention some of the bad,
0: true, and you know what, there is probably an audience out there for those films. After all, are, after all, Sharknado is a film.
1: Uh, uh, a, a, there are five a th- films. series of
0: films, yeah. Yeah, well, so. and then they
1: had uh, Lava Lantula, um Sharktopus. Like people, there love... is an audience, absolutely. So for those types of films, I get sent them, and I just I click the email and then go from there. But a lot of times, these studios are sending those. And as soon as I were to click the Vimeo link or the private screener link, that publicist is then freaking out be like, oh my gosh, somebody actually clicked the link. Somebody actually might actually might watch this. So sometimes, yeah, you can tell when people are just sending things out to see who actually wants to give it some time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and time is, is valuable. I mean, I'm in the screening, I'm in the theater usually three, sometimes four times a week um, going to screenings and then... After that, doing my research and spending time really looking at the film. So it is not just that surface level, oh, this is what happened and then this happened and this is my review of it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. What's your split between like indie versus big commercial? Like how much time you spend in the theater for the big commercially released stuff versus independent?
1: A lot of the time that I'm in the theater, it is for the major releases when I do festivals like Badass or Vancouver Short or... It is hard to even put SIF in there, which is the Seattle International Film Festival. SIF is a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the largest film festival in North America. So it lasts for six weeks in the spring in Seattle. The press screenings start two weeks before that. And so for two months, my life is just destroyed. That sounds um, incredible. It, it is incredible. And I definitely have had some amazing opportunities with that, last year I interviewed Gus Van Sand, uh, Morgan Neville, the director of Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, which got totally snubbed in the Oscars. I don't want to talk about it. Um, I talked about it a lot on my podcast. Uh, but yeah, so I, mean, I get amazing opportunities for that. But really, the indie stuff comes from when I go to the festivals. Because that is where I find the people who are creating it out of the true passion of filmmaking. And then I, I have a platform where I can be like, hey, Here's a microphone. Tell people about your art. Tell people where they can find it, where they can see it, because that is important. The commercial stuff is great, and I love seeing those things, but the indies, that is where I find just that passion is just at a different level.
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't go out and spend your money and your time and your health and your sanity making a f- independent film unless you are just have... A lot of passion or an illness. It's, uh, <laughs> it takes a certain level mm-hmm. of dedication. So when you're watching a film uh, and critiquing it, and I mean, I'm sure that like every reviewer has a different, different taste, different process, different... Um, it, I mean, it depends a lot on you yourself, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. What do you look for? Like if you were to put it out there to filmmakers, like this is what John the Reviewer looks for in a film.
1: Ooh. Um it really depends because I mean I like so many different types of films. So give me a fantastic, you know, well thought out and emotional documentary that it's my wheelhouse. If you give me a crazy martial arts movie, that is also my wheelhouse. <laughs> so it really just kind of depends. The movies that in general do not really speak to me and the good thing is when I'm fortunate in that I am my own boss and I get to choose the films that I cover, is when a PR rep sends me a screening, you know, invite or screening link to the new rom com of the season. Delete, um, because that just that is not really what I want to be spending my time in. And when I have talked to the PR reps from these various studios, and I and I tell them that because they will ask if I'm going to see whatever the next one is. And I will say no, and that because they know my work, they almost sometimes prefer that because they're like, even if he does go, he is going to rip it apart. So like it really you have to know yourself as as a reviewer, as a critic. And the thing that I always say, everybody is a film critic. Everybody has the right <laughs> to be a film critic and to critique art and whatever they want to do. I just happen to have a platform that I created to put it out there. And so the things that I look for, just solid story, well shot, well acted. I mean, those things should be quote unquote basic, but at the same time, you and I both know you can have a fantastic story and the actors feel like cardboard. Like where they just, they're standing there and you just do not get that emotional weight. And that is what I really kind of am looking for. You know, is that, that type of connection one way or the other, you know, because if art makes you feel something, it worked. So I have been in the theater hating a movie just 30 minutes in and I'm like, what am I doing here? But I'm a professional. So I sat through all of it, looking at your transformers the last night, um, (laughs) that movie was physically painful to sit through. And at one point I turned to my, my friend who was sitting next to me, fellow critic and he was like, how much longer do we have? And I was like, we still have an hour. <laughs> like, and it was just, it was insane. <laughs> and so with movies like that, we're just, there's just no emotional weight to it, no emotional connection. I need to connect with art for me to be invested.
0: Mm-hmm. You need to care, basically.
1: Yeah, and, and often there are times <laughs> when just something is happening on screen that I just, I'm not connected to. And so with rom-coms, in general I, I just do not really feel that um i do have a heart uh, in in here uh, and it grows three sizes when i see you know certain movies rom-coms it just shrinks i'm just like this is ridiculous so yeah so that is what i kind of when i go into the theater the movies that get me excited to go to the theater there's something about it that, that is pulling me there and other ones just are pushing me away and that is okay too <laughs>
0: Nice. I'm curious because I think every filmmaker goes into making their film and during the process they get wrapped up and then they they hit this point. And to be fair, when you're in the editing process and you've watched your movie 5,000 times, mm-hmm. you hit a point where you're you're not sure if it's good or not. Yeah. And you put it out there anyway. On the day when it is not good and you get a bad review, what's your advice for for what filmmakers can take from a bad review and how they should learn from it and process from it.
1: Sure. It, and I, I will say this. It is going to happen. Uh, I have received bad reviews on, on iTunes and things like that. You can sit with it. You can let it fester. You can let it eat, your, eat its way through you. Or you recognize that as somebody's opinion. They have a right to it. Move on. Keep creating art. And so with me, and that, that is me the professional saying this, me, the person who actually got a one star review <laughs> on iTunes, <laughs> then clicks on the person's name, finds out what else they, what they have reviewed and what other one stars, and compares it, and made a spreadsheet. That is a different thing. <laughs> but in general, I mean, you just, you have to realize that, like you said in the beginning, art is subjective. No matter what you do, somebody is either not going to be connected to it. Somebody is going to take something away from it that maybe was not your intention. You have to realize, just have the faith in yourself. You made it, you did the thing, learn from it, if they brought up something that was valid, but keep creating art. Like these days, the barrier to entry, I talk about this frequently, the barrier to entry has never been lower. If you have an iPhone or any sort of smartphone, you can be a podcaster, you can be a filmmaker from your phone. So just create art, Recognize that, yes, some people are going to have a negative opinion. Move on.
0: Push and, through anyway. Yeah.
1: Unless they're paying your bills, how much does their opinion matter? Very true. So, I mean, you, I mean that, that is a somewhat harsh way to look at it. But at the same time, and it is, I have been in theaters where people are screening their films, like, for a 48-hour film competition. And for those, I mean, you worked your butt off for those 48 hours. And you created something and you sit on the big screen and when you see people not clapping or not laughing at the beats that you want them to, I have seen the physical effects that it has on a filmmaker. When you watch them kind of just slumping down in their chair and they know that at the end of it, they're going to do a Q&A where all the filmmakers come up and they're like, I do not want to do this. So, but at the <laughs> same time, learn from it, keep going, just keep pushing because you will hopefully learn from whatever mistake somebody had if it was a valid thing. But if it is something like, and again, in a 40-hour film competition where there's somebody and they're like, well, well, the sound was off. Yeah, they had 48 hours. Like this is something, like, recognize the limitations that certain people have. And that is something, again, where in my reviews, I have to think about that. And if I know that a production on the back end had a lot of problems and a director dropped out midway and they had to, scrounge people together to finish the film so that it could get released. I take that into consideration because I recognize that those things happen. Um, and then you have things like Bohemian Rhapsody who won for best editing for some <laughs> ungodly reason. Um, but it just, you know, I recognize that there was a lot of production problems with Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. So with Brian Singer being fired with them kind of bringing, um, I forget his name. He's doing rocket man next, the director. Um, oh,
0: God, I forget too.
1: Yeah, but like they brought him in to kind of finish. Mm-hmm. The, they were like, we still have stuff to shoot. We st- it still needs to make sense. We need help. And so, I mean, that, that goes into it also. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just learn from the mistakes and push through.
0: Yeah. It's awesome to hear that you do that, that research to find out not just what the end result was, but what kind of process went into it. How long do you usually spend researching a film and what kind of things do you kind of look for apart from general production issues. (laughs) Right. I mean, I try and...
1: I mean, my episodes are about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 30 minutes, depending on how many films are going to be reviewed. For each film, I probably spend, I mean, maybe five to 10 hours with it because it is the two hours in the theater, writing the notes, and then really looking into it if I have the time. You know, and if it is something that I want to invest that time in. (laughs) There are some films I see when... I take my notes at the end, go home, look a little bit more, and then I'm okay with it. There are other ones where I really want to dive into it and figure out, not just from the production side of things, but for either the true story, for to give myself a better rounded idea of the story. So it just it kind of depends. Sometimes it is the two hours and I have enough. Sometimes it is me wanting to learn more. That way I can give, you know, the people who are listening a little bit more information. So it is not as surface level.
0: Nice. I'm curious also, I guess, have you ever had an email or a filmmaker walk up to you that you've given a bad review to and and given you their feedback?
1: Luckily, no. (laughs) Uh, The benefit of being anonymous. Um, So, I mean, I have not had that happen. Uh, because again, when I it is not that I avoid giving bad reviews for the indie films, but because I recognize, again, the difficulties that they might be up against, whether it was budgetary or timing, I'm not going to rip apart a 48-hour film and be like, this was trash. This is, I just am not going to do that. Uh, they worked way too hard in a very short amount of time for me to do that. So the films that I have given bad reviews too. Uh, so, well, my reviews, my, my system for reviews. So I do not do letter grades. I do not do a star system. There are three choices, good, bad, or ugly. <laughs> and that is it. So, I mean, and the way that I kind of break that down is a good film is something that when you come out of that theater, everybody is a film critic. They want to talk about it. They want to talk about it to their friends, family. So a good film is something where you come out of it and you do. You want to text your friends. You want to talk to them and get them to go see it. A bad film is not necessarily something that you've regretted sitting in the theater with for two hours, but not really that compelled to tell more people about it. Ugly is just avoid at all costs. So.
0: <laughs> Shirk Nato. No. Yeah. Unless you're, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're
1: into that. Unless you're into so with me, like, I, ha- I definitely have given some uglies. Um, but those are, yeah, for major. Studio films. And yeah, nobody has come up to me and said Mm. something.
0: Kind of those films where it's like you had no excuse. Should have been good. Pretty much. Where just
1: (laughs) either it should have been or very easily could have been with like two or three changes. There are some of these films where it really, I mean, you are an actress as well, an actor. (laughs) It is making choices. That is what it really comes down to. And if somebody just made bad choices the entire movie, it was like, come on, man. Like, yeah. you know, there, there are ways to, to get around that. So will it happen at some point? I am sure it will, whether I'm doing a press junket um, and I see somebody, you know, but at the same time, I, it is, it is my, my job, my duty for this craft, you know? And so I respect the work that went into it, but I would be being disingenuous if I was just sugarcoating every review to try and make my way up, I'm using air quotes in this audio medium. <laughs> because, yeah, that, that is not being genuine. No.
0: And, and it's not doing what people respect you for doing, mm-hmm. which is the work, difficult work of, of yeah, putting, putting an opinion to art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm excited. Tonight we are going down to the last night of the badass film festival yes and uh, going to go watch those burlesque snakes or
1: <laughs> fire dancing fire burlesque dancing snakes. burlesque snakes right?
0: and uh that was some... the name of my
1: band in high school so
0: it's a good name you know? <laughs> surprised you're not like yeah a famous musician now with right that name, name like that or maybe i am maybe you are <laughs> nobody knows um but yeah we're going down to see some uh, some awesome local shorts a couple of features and mm-hmm. more shenanigans i'm sure after the badass film festival what do you, what else do you have coming up in your schedule
1: So spring is when it really starts to get busy uh, for the major studios. January is just kind of the dumping ground for studios when they're like, okay, this is not a summer blockbuster. This is also not a holiday movie. I guess it is a January movie and they just drop stuff there. So January, February, it gets a little bit sketchy. Uh, We just get some random movies, but March and April is when it really starts to pick up for the major studios. And then SIF happens in May and again it just it takes over the local film critics lives for about two months uh there was something like oh my gosh I cannot remember how many I think close to a thousand features that were shown like it is just it is insane so so that is coming up but yeah and then I just I've did some interviews here at the badass film festival those will be coming out uh soon so, yeah, just it, I release new episodes every Wednesday of usually, yeah, whatever the big movie is coming out for, for that week. So, Go yeah, it is,
0: it is a lot. And where can people find you?
1: So it is very easy. So on all social media handles, it is at AboutTreeView, AboutTreeView at gmail.com, AboutTreeView.com, YouTube.com slash AboutTreeView, all over the place. But, yeah, definitely I encourage people to, to reach out. You know, if you are a filmmaker or if you are an actor You know, listen to those conversations that I have, you know, with the directors, with actors. And that is what I really get a lot of the feedback from is when I do those types of episodes where I'm interviewing filmmakers, interviewing directors and producers. Because, yeah, it just it gives us insight. And in an audio medium that you and I both chose to be a part of, (laughs) you just get a different reaction, a different attitude, a different mentality, and so I really love doing interviews with people. So yeah, those will be coming out. But yeah, it's very easy to get a hold of me. Uh, just about to review on everything.
0: Brilliant. And before we sign off, one of your I want to hear one of your top so far this year to see big commercial blockbuster films, and one of your top little indie films that we may have to do a bit of searching to find.
1: Interesting. Um, as far as is this is the other thing that happens when you are a film critic. <laughs> Um, as of right now, we are just about in April. I have already seen close to a hundred, uh, major release films. Uh, so it is a lot, but the first one that kind of comes to my mind that I saw recently was us by Jordan Peele.
0: I was going to ask if you'd seen that everybody. That's, that's how filmmakers greet each other nowadays. Have you seen us?
1: Yeah. Like it is, it is not a perfect film. Um, there, there are some, Issues with it; it raises way more questions than it gives answers to. Uh, it has a continuity error that still bothers me, um, that I had to bring up to a couple other fellow critics when we were at a screening, uh, and it, it is something that I will talk to anybody about it if they have seen it. But yeah, so US is definitely one to to go and see. Uh, Jordan Peele is creating some incredible, unique, original art that just it really deserves to be seen. Uh Twilight Zone comes out soon as well. So, I'm totally on board the Jordan Peele train. Uh as far as an indie one, I will pull something from this weekend from from here at Badass. Uh A Mata Negra from Brazil. Super bizarre uh paganistic mysticism ritualistic sacrifice indigenous movie. <laughs> Um, with the, with the 20 last 20 minutes that is just bananas. Awesome. So yeah. So Amata Negra, which I think is going to be on video on demand soon, or it already has a, um, release date. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, definitely check that one out.
0: Nice. So us and Amata Negra, mm-hmm. keep your eye on both of those. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming in. Yeah. Doing a podcast with <laughs> back to ones.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great.
0: Awesome.